0: This podcast is for kinky adults only And those of you that might be curious Hi, welcome to another exhilarating, exciting and passable episode of the Massacast. Here's a little uh, broadcaster tip for you Try to avert your eyes when uh, your loved one flashes you Uh, ...in the middle of talking, because then you're going to completely forget what you were talking about. And, um... Yeah. So, uh... So here's the thing. Uh, Some people... little, I don't know if you know this or not, some people get pissed off at me... ...because I will talk about some events... ...and not others. So some people have gotten a little upset with me... ...because as if I'm playing favorites. And so then I, for a while, I decided, you know what? Screw it, then I'm not going to talk about any events... At all because I want to avoid drama at all costs, right? And and then turns out people think I'm an asshole for not talking about any events Um, So here's what I decided to do This this solves it, right? If you want to promote your event All you have to do is call the voicemail number 917-720-7304 Or you can email me an mp3 or whatever you like and uh, and I'll insert it into the podcast, like at the very end of the podcast. That way, the onus is on on you, the person who's got the event coming up. You can go ahead and call that number and uh, and promote it. So maybe you've got an event in you know somewhere in Saskatchewan. Maybe you're in Saskatoon or Prince Albert, somewhere in in Sask- Saskatchewan, and you you want to promote your event. Go ahead. We've got some Saskatchewan listeners. If you want to promote your, if you're in Timbuktu, if you're in uh, Cleveland. Well, you're better at, you're better off just staying in your home if you're if you're from Cleveland. Um, but yeah, go ahead. That's the number. Oh, before I forget, I have to thank Eden Fantasies. edenfantasies.com where you can uh, save 20% on your order if you type in EFCAST on checkout. Right now they've got uh, actually a spring clearance sale going on. Here's just goes to show you you can learn something from just going to Eden Fantasy's website I had no idea that there was a, a, such a thing as penis extensions Had no idea Turns out there's tons of them And there's there's tons of them there So yeah, thanks to Eden Fantasy's uh, proud sponsor of the Massacast. This episode, um, you know, once again uh, A friend calls me up, Mistress Alex this time She says, I've got this great person to, for you to interview uh, His name is Stephen Elliott He's written some great books including my girlfriend comes to the city and beats me up um, happy baby the Adderall Diaries and uh, and he'd be a great person to talk about because he's uh, an author well very respect very well respected author and uh, he's out he's out as kinky here's uh, Stephen Elliott and mistress Alex uh, I hope you enjoy it we started out by talking about uh, uh, about his book my girlfriend comes to the city and beats me up
1: that book was really widespread in a certain community you know which is and it's when you write a book like that, or what I, what I found out writing that book really was just how small the S and M community is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's obviously a huge number of people that are kinky and you can see that just by the fact that if you walk into a dirty bookstore, a third of all the videos are, are, are kink videos. Yeah. But people that are really into S and M and that, that, that kind of uh, constitute like the, the S and M community in the S and M world that is a small population.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, but but that, that book has had an amazing amount of penetration into that population, yeah. which is, um, is kind of awesome because at the time I wrote it, you know that, those, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to have a conversation with that.
0: But you put your name on it. That was the thing that kind of surprised me, is that most people, when they write a kink book, they don't put their names on it, Right. Am I stealing right. any of your questions, by the way? Have I stolen anyone yet?
2: Yeah. Well, here's something. This is, see this big one right here? Go ahead. Ask away. Let me, I'm going to read it to you because I wrote it in a very conversational tone. So All right. So let me outlive myself. So there was this bit in the intro to My Girlfriend Comes This Thing. Remember when I um, told you I was going to plagiarize you? Yeah. And
1: Do I you said remember? you should. Yeah. Well, well, you
2: didn't you, need you you permission, didn't you? <laughs> which you didn't need. <laughs> And I said, Well, the reason why is because I thought you made a really important statement right in the intro. And, um, but I didn't plagiarize you because I was just teasing. But also, I thought we could talk about it here today. Uh, and I'm going to quote you You said, As kinky people, we need to talk to our non kinky fr- friends about our desires. We can't wait for the approval of others, we must force them to accept us. We will never have political power until we let the politicians know that we are not ashamed. So, um, what are we going to do when we get all this kinky people power? And the other question is, uh, will we still be kinky if we're not ashamed?
1: Those are pretty awesome questions, <laughs> actually. They're really important. Well, there's three things, I think, going on. The first is that I, uh, I wrote that intro to the book. I mean, I'd written the book over a period of years. Um, it's just a collection of shorts but uh, an erotic, uh, erotic vignettes. But um, this was kind of the height of the George Bush, George W. Bush administration, cracking down on pornographic, uh, often kink-related sites, you know, with obscenity charges and things like that, and and they were actually using some of the um, some of the laws adopted because of 9/11, mm-hmm. and, and they were calling some of these sites like they were using anti-terrorism laws mm-hmm. to shut down, you know, BDSM sites and 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 threaten if not close. Sites that were really just educational, that were about safe sex, and and so that was really the point was that like if we don't, it's it's great to be in the closet, but you can't be in the closet because then they will make what you do illegal because then you're not a voting block, and so uh, to have political power you have to be open and it sucks in a lot of ways. It's like not actually all that fun. I mean, ultimately, I think it's awesome to be open for a lot of personal reasons, but. Politically, it becomes important even if you don't want to do it, because you won't have power, and they will. You'll be prosecuted. Uh, people won't get. People will be ashamed of their desires when they don't have to be, because then they won't have access to information that could change that and give them a healthier life and outlook. You know, um, I mean, I was in the closet till I was like thirty years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would go out and go to these events, but none of my friends knew about it until I was writing Happy Baby, which is a, a, a very literary novel. So it's not the same as my girlfriend comes to the city and beats me up. But it's very clear that the, that whoever wrote Happy Baby is into certain things. There's mm-hmm. no way you could miss that. Mm-hmm. Nobody's that good of a writer. <laughs> and, um, and, and so my friends were reading pieces of this book as they were being published prior to the book's release and they were like, oh. And it was so good to be out of the closet. Uh, I found out, it's kind of like when you're, um, and really writing a book is always like coming out of the closet, but it's like mm-hmm when you're a transvestite and you want to put on a dress and it's all you think about and then you put on the dress and now like you just want to go outside in the dress and then you go outside and soon you're going dancing every night and you can't even remember when it was a big deal when it was like when it was all you thought about and now because you're out of the closet you can you actually your mind starts to think about other things you you come out of the closet and there's another closet waiting for you there's always another closet and so now it's like Oh, I have issues with my mother. Oh, I, be- I have issues with, with you know p- pharmaceutical drugs or it, depression or whatever the, whatever your issues are that there was no room to think about because mm-hmm. you were closeted. And so this is, on a personal level, you, you have to come out of the closet because you can't come out of the next closet until you come out of the closet well, you're in.
2: Well, a lot of people probably find that comforting that they don't have to address those. Like, you know, addressing the symptoms and not the...
0: You know, well, like- it's not just that, but it's also... Um, you know, not having to deal with, you know, with, with close friends, I found close friends, when they find out for are vanilla, it's not that big a deal for them.
1: That it, is the thing. That's the key. That It turns out, first off, that your friends don't care, probably. It's like when you're in your 20s, you worry about what people think about you. This is like the saying, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then when you're in your 30s, you don't care what people think about you. And then when you're in your forties you realize they weren't thinking about you. Yeah. You, yeah. Know? <laughs> you know, like nobody actually cares. They've got other things on their mind. Um Well, family is the is a big family is a big right? is a big thing. But still Well, for me it's not an issue. I left home when I was thirteen. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a ward of the state, so yeah. I don't actually have to worry about that. Um But the the thing about I do understand that it's not sexy in some ways when there's no when you don't have the mystery. Like like a lot of things like uh like when you're doing S and M, a lot of times the fear can be really erotic. But if you if you've really talked everything out and you know each other really super well, and you kind of you can you can lose that, yeah. depending on on the person. Um, so I, I recognize that, but I think that that's like
2: you're just not hurting them <laughs> hard enough. <laughs> it's like if you can
1: lose that fear, certain certain people, but not no, everyone but too. not everyone. Not everyone
0: well, is into that. But at the same at the same but time, it's,
1: it's worth it. it's, it's a point. It's yeah. like there might be some things that you give up. But it's actually it's a necessary exchange to demystify sex and sexuality is you do lose something, but it's a trade-off that, that where, the bene- where the good way outweighs um, the bad. But there's also something else you touched on that I think is that I've thought about a lot and is really important is what happens when kinky people have political power? And you know what happens when they have political power? They act just like the people. Acted toward them and this happens in every social movement like i'll give you a couple of examples like i was on the I, w- I was on the uh van for the sex workers art show which is this great thing And there's 12 of us and i'm the only nominally straight person on this van in this van and and i say that i identify as as queer uh because i don't even like vanilla sex i don't have vanilla sex almost ever in years and um and and they were like no, you're the straightest guy. No, you're straight. You're mm-hmm. not queer. Like they were telling me, they wouldn't let me be queer. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is so funny when I. Think you look
2: kind of queer. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you,
1: bro. And and but the, thing. the the thing was that they were acting like the pe they were acting like the people that they were against, the people that wouldn't let them yeah. be queer. That now yeah. they were. And, and here here's the other example. Talk to someone in the kink community about uh, Asian fetish. You know, and this is, this is great. This is, this is the great, this is a great, like divining rod. Like if you want, like you see all these people that are Asian sex workers or they're ethnic or something, but they don't want you to have a fetish. They don't want you to fetishize their ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Right. So here they are, they're making their living on, on fetishes, which, which they know, they know are not chosen. I think we all know that you don't choose to be into this. This is just what happens. Mm -hmm. So nobody, nobody chooses an Asian fetish. And there's all this, like, false uh, stuff around that, like, oh, people are into Asian women because they're into women being subservient or because they hate women or, or other things. But there's nothing, there's no research or anything that backs that up anywhere. Yeah. And it's just, but you, it's it's much more a gut reaction and then they're, that they're justifying, they're rationalizing. So here you have people that are saying, it's okay, it's okay to want... To, to be fucked in the ass, it's okay to be submissive, to be a boy dressing as a girl, to get your breasts removed, to get breasts implanted, all these different things, but it's not okay to have an Asian fetish, as, as if anybody mm-hmm. has any control over whether or not they have an Asian fetish, and suddenly now you're a bad person for having this fetish, and that comes out of the kink pro-sex community. And so, so that's... It's it's really tricky.
2: Yeah, it's true. The more you drill down, and there's always going to be something, oh, but, you know, we're so inclusive, and we love everyone, and, it, and this is the most inclusive community, I believe, it. but then there's always, oh, those people are really weird. Yeah. Uh, and those, those financial doms aren't really dominant, or those people into racial play are... You know, I remember, I've had discussions about these things on the boards, and uh, it's like, come on, and, like, people are sitting judgment of these well, people. It's, it's kind of amazing.
0: I think there's a lot of people who... Uh, who really enjoy the fact that there's someone who they perceived as more fucked up than them. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there's like, yeah. like for me, there's a long time that was like, you know, this is just what my person, of course, this fill in the blank with any kink, right? This could be anything. But for me, I was like, yeah, I love all this stuff, but at least I don't like someone shitting in my mouth, because that's fucking weird. You know what I mean? There, I, I justified yeah. it in my head. There's like, you know what? I'm pretty normal compared to, you know, whereas at the same time there's someone out there who's going, you know what, I might like getting shit in my mouth, but at least I don't like getting fucked in the ass with a strap on like that ex-guy, you know. So there's just something about, you know, at least we're not worse off than this other person or whatever, you know.
1: It's total It's total like noble savages. It's the idea of if we're all created equal... Then we are just as capable of hate and small mindedness as any other group, yeah. and and unless you build that, unless you build in something into your movement yeah. to fight that, you're gonna you're gonna always come up against that's Why you know you have you always have these revolutions and they just take on the norms of the people that they displaced. Um, but of course, what I would what I would like people in 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 the free in the pro sex movement and the kink movement to think about is that. It's nothing, your, your kinks, your desires, your desires are never the problem. It's only how you act based on your desires. Like, mm-hmm. if you're a pedophile, if that's not, or if you, if, you fet- if you fetishize children, that's not the problem. The problem is when you act on it, mm-hmm. when you victimize somebody. If you have an Asian fetish, you know, that's fine until you start treating a person like an object. Mm-hmm. That's not fine. So it's, it's not the desires. Because
2: they want to be treated like an
1: object. And you've, and you've negotiated it and... All these things. You, the, blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. <laughs> your desires are not, your desires do not give you a free pass to be a jerk. Yeah. But the but your person should not be judged based on their sexual desires. Though I, I do it just as much as anybody else. Yeah.
2: But that's, yeah, and and you know what? It's really easy for you to say um, people should be out and this is important because, like you said a minute ago, you're not worried about your family finding out. You know, that's that's its own tragedy, but it's also a benefit. And, you know... I don't have that much family either, but, like, maybe half of my family knows about, like, everything about me, and the other half I don't give a fuck about, so I don't talk to them, but they don't know, but there's, it's also easy for you to say, because you don't have a day job, like, most, you know, most, I don't know, a lot of submissive, a lot of, you know, People in in the scene, like, and, and it's especially difficult, from what I understand, from a lot of the submissives, masochists, fetishists that are men to come out. You know, they can't come out to their coworkers, or they're you know they're so entrenched in this vanilla scene, and it's really, it's it's nearly impossible for them.
1: Yeah, I, that that's true. That's true. It's it's easy for me to say it,
0: but I, I still st- I stand behind it anyway.
2: Good. <laughs> I like that you say it. I'm just
0: saying. There was one other thing you mentioned that um, I thought was really interesting, and that is, uh, what was the last question you asked about?
2: Will we still be kinky if we're not ashamed?
0: <laughs> Will we still be kinky if we're not ashamed? And it's, uh, uh, if it's normal. If it's normal.
2: It depends on what your kink is, I think. But if your kink is closely related to that, then, I don't know, it would change. It would just change.
1: I was hanging out at... Um at kink.com a lot, where they where they make, it's like the largest, make probably everybody in this, that listens to your show is totally aware of what probably. kink.com is. You've
2: written for I'm, them before. I've written
1: for them. and, and Perhaps
2: and, you're in porn that's on kink.com. Uh, perhaps
1: I am in porn that's on kink.com. Mm-hmm. And there's also, uh, and we created a reality show at Pernert. kink.com um, and, that I created and, uh, and we made for Showtime the, but didn't get picked up. It's not up. the
2: one, oh, okay. Okay.
1: And it's not
2: the one they're doing, the O oh, story of O or
1: No, no, totally that's different. Awesome. But they uh but but being around that much sex and that many naked people all the time and where everything went it it really lo- it did lower my sex drive. And actually when I was a stripper I also had like no sex drive. Sometimes when there's um and I think that's a similar thing, whereas like if there's an abundance, if it's not weird and there's no mystery, will it still uh be fun? and uh, and I think for some people it might not be but nonetheless I think it's one of the, nonetheless I think we we got to go with that anyway cuz the, the political power is more important than
0: that Are you able to, are you allowed to talk about the showtime thing? Yeah, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but I don't care. Exhibit A, Massacast. Woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a reality show is based on what happened at kink.com and obviously they didn't pick it up. But... Right, we I created a show and there's a
1: little bit of uh, conflict around that, actually. I think there's other people that felt that they created it. And uh, I sold it. We sold it as a group to Showtime. And then I was, I, was really, I was pretty much pushed out at that point. And then I was just a creative consultant. And I had no say in what they were doing. And um, they brought in a team of people. And they, they, it, was, it was an interesting lesson creatively. They were they were tried very hard to make a reality show that was what they thought reality shows looked like, and they set up a bunch of um, a bunch of conflicts that weren't real, and they tried to edit conflicts in, and I and I kept saying like this place is interesting, you could, if you just let the cameras roll, mm-hmm. this is about a workplace, it's actually not about two doms fighting yeah. for their territory. It's like it's actually about what goes on in the technology room and there's like a computer attack from Russia and yeah. then you know and everybody's on, all hands are on deck, you know. And and um but they didn't but they were so there was so much at stake for everybody. And they were so afraid of doing it wrong that it ended up being it was just like John Kerry in two thousand four. He voted for him because he was the only one that could win yeah. and then he lost. Yeah. And so they made the show and and because they thought it was what Showtime wanted. It wasn't the show that I pitched them. It yeah. wasn't the treatment that I wrote. And but what Showtime wanted was just something good. It turns out they didn't know exactly what they wanted, yeah. and what they got was something that looked really pretty but didn't have a very good narrative. Uh, I think creatively you have to have a set, you have to have an aesthetic. You have to, you, in any creative project. It's my belief, if it's a book or a film, <clears throat> a television show. You have to try to make something that you think is good. That's your, that has to be your, that you have to prioritize things. Yeah. So if your priority priority is making a show that you think an executive at Showtime will like because she liked a similar show five years ago, then making a good show is somewhere below that. Yeah. So yeah. if if making something good or writing something good is not your top priority, then you won't make something good. Yeah. Ultimately, you won't make something that has create, has artistic value. Even and you see this in books all the time. People write books that have a very easy marketing hook, and they come out and they make, sell twenty thousand copies right away, and then they disappear because they don't, there's no art. Yeah, you know that's not that's not art.
2: So back to your stripping story. Not not to. <laughs> no, that's fine. not that. This is. Fa- I assume this was fascinating. I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you were stripping, and this is like a little while ago. Few years ago, 10, 15, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, it was like uh, seventeen years ago.
2: So you were in your twenties. Early twenties. Um, and where were you in terms of your sexuality then? Did you that was before you came out? You said I was because you said you wrote "Happy Baby" more around thirty or something. I was something. a mess.
1: I was in total denial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was stripping in gay clubs for for. No, not very much money at all. Because
2: you thought like, you were gay? Or?
1: No, because I wanted, uh, people to, I wanted people to find me attractive. I wanted mm-hmm. to believe that I was attractive, and I couldn't. And, and if people were paying to see me naked, then that must mean I was attractive. Right. It didn't actually work that way, because I would just look at the other strippers, and I would right, think, right. oh, that guy's got better stomach muscles than me or something. So it was actually, you know, what happened, I mean, I was in a group home, and I made it to college, which is a very rare thing from the group homes that I came out of. And so I was like this kid that made good. I, got, I, was, I had a, done, been doing a lot of drugs. I got clean. Finished high school in two years. Went to college. And I was like, that's a, a success story. They actually used me to like, pitch people to donate money to this group home. And then I got out of college, and I started using heroin and became a stripper. I mean, it was, you know, because I just didn't have, I was, I was a mess, and I didn't have a foundation. Um... And I would, I would go to these fetish events. Probably if, if the internet was around, I would have done better. I would have found... Mm-hmm. I, I really just needed a good dominatrix. I would have been such a good boyfriend Aww. to the right. Oh, I
2: thought you were going to say I would have been yeah. such a good boy. I would have been. So, back up for a second and describe for me the moment that you realized you weren't gay. Did you have a cock in your mouth?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was the weirdest thing. It only takes one cock in your mouth to... No, um... To know what? To know that you're not gay. No,
2: I was... I don't know. I've heard different. I, I knew...
1: I mean, I was kinky from the very beginning, like from my earliest like sexual fantasies, like going through my father's like stacks of porn when I was like 10, hmm. and finding the one two-page softcore bondage spread in the Wii magazine from 1970 or something, and hmm. that was it. And here's this like, I mean, literally just... Stacks of pornography all over, all over our basement. And it's only two pages in any of it that right. has any interest to me. I never got off on, on straight porn or, or sex or anything. I did keep thinking for a long time that I could be with someone who was vanilla and learn to like it. Because I wanted a normal relationship. You know, quote unquote normal relationship with someone with a normal family that was going to bring me into the fold of normalcy. Right, right, I wanted it really badly. And, uh, but it turned out, um, that I was, I was never actually able to, to get there. I mean, even, I mean, it's just not my sexuality ultimately. And, and I could probably do it actually, if the other person could do it. Like I, ha- I have a, a good friend who I'm just crazy about. We stay up all night playing Connect Four. We talk, we, you know, we have everything except sexual chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, let's just get married, you know, because everything's great here. We'll get a house. We'll... And she was like, well, I want to have sex. I was like, ah, oh, we can have sex. That's fine. You know, but that's not what, what she wants. She wants to be desired is what she yeah. means. And I can't give her that, Mm-mm. you know, because she's not kinky.
2: So you wrote this down. I always date briefly and I always date sex workers because they're the only ones who understand desire without sex. So is that true? I mean, is it true that you only date sex workers and or is it true that they're the only ones who understand desire without sex? Or is that poetic hyperbole?
1: I certainly meant it when I said it. <laughs> and I think that there is a language among sex workers that I understand. I think from being a sex worker, partly, and maybe just partly for other reasons, and there's, 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 there's I think, a number of reasons. I mean, one is that no matter what your desire is, if you're dating a sex worker, uh, they might not want to do that, but they're not going to be freaked out because somebody has asked them for something much stranger mm-hmm. than whatever it is that you're into. You know, they might not want to put you in diapers, but they're not going to break up with you over it. Mm-hmm. Um
2: So what's the strangest thing that you ever were not worried about asking one of them? <laughs>
1: <laughs> hmm...
2: That you told yourself, I don't need to worry about this. I'm just going to say. I think it's
1: just all of it. It's just this idea that, that nothing you're is.
2: That, you're really that odd, aren't you? That,
1: well, but you don't, you don't feel <laughs> odd when you're with a sex worker. You feel like Sounds you like feel like odd. accepted. You feel odd when you're with someone. The only person who's not who says
2: a, they don't feel odd is, is the person who feels really odd.
1: I feel odd when I'm with someone <laughs> who's not a sex worker because oh, yeah. then it's like, it's always weird. It's always, there's always this like.
2: Yeah, what's up with them?
1: You people? know, I, I mean. You know, they think that you're, like, kinky, so, like, oh, well, then I'll I'll tie you up, and then we'll just we'll do that, and then we'll just do all the normal stuff, and we'll have this vanilla sex and, mm-hmm. and everything else, and it'll be Gross. great. And, and it's like, yeah, it's like they don't understand. Like, no, actually, I don't have that side. Yeah. I'm only kinky, actually. I don't have this, like, straight vanilla side where we're just going to, you know, I mean.
2: Not that there's anything wrong with
1: that. I and not that I would choose the sexuality that I have. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Yeah, you know, at all actually, and that's that's the thing. But it's simply, it's not. I don't think it's great to be kinky. I don't, I'm not pro kink. It's rather I'm pro accepting who you are mm-hmm. and working and exceed, uh, succeeding within your limitations. But I, you know, I have yet. This is this is the thing. I I have not been able to have a successful romantic relationship. Not really. Not since I was like twenty five. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been with someone since then where, I mean, I've had incredible, erotic, intense, awesome relationships, mm-hmm. and, I've, and I've made out with people, um, but I haven't been with someone in all that time where I was like, oh, this, I can be with this person for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, that the, or I, even if I thought that I could be, yeah. I haven't actually thought that that was on the table i thought maybe for me, like, I could be with this person for the rest of my life, but this person, there's no way this person is going to be with me for the rest of their ah. life, you know? Like, it, you just knew going in that it was just not conceivable. Um, and, and, and it's funny, you know, like, when I was writing The Adderall Diaries, which is a memoir, and this was, this was kind of the, the dilemma that I thought I was going to solve. You know, like, like, when you're writing a memoir, it's a, you're, it's a search you know uh i mean i think it's a search for honesty right but your honesty is like bordered by self-knowledge mm-hmm. so you only be you can only be as honest as, as well as you know yourself and then and i thought that i would figure out my issues with that i found out i figured out all these other things i didn't even know what i was looking for i had like incredible closure with my father which was amazing mm-hmm. my father and i have the most twisted ridiculous relationship and yet uh Figuring out what my problem was with having a relationship. I mean, I really want to be in a relationship with a woman. I want to share my life with another person. I know I really want that, but I cannot point to any of my history as evidence yeah. of that, you know? Like, and if I was, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm very objective that way. I like to just say, like, like I almost like I don't believe myself because if that was true, I would, I would have had that. Yeah. It's not like I don't meet people. I do meet people. Yeah. And I
2: heard you're a slut but i'm only a slut
1: <laughs> by necessity. uh i th- i think that i'm actually a very monogamous person. because when i'm with someone, i don't fantasize about other people. like if i'm with someone and i'm really into someone, when i masturbate i think about them. i don't like i don't get off on variety. but then if i'm not in a relationship then i'm trying to like okay like i'm i'm kinky but i still i still want to sleep with someone. i want to cuddle. So I have I often have these these semi-relationship with, with like these vanilla women where um they're just between guys and so we're just cuddling and I'm just like keeping the bed warm until they find the next guy and yeah. they, this can go on for like 4 to 6 months.
0: It's Not a bad place to be by the way.
1: It's not bad but right. when but a, 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 they always end up dating someone. It yeah. always ends. Um and then so like I have there's like a person in San Francisco or there's, well there's a couple of people in San Francisco that I play with very semi regularly irregularly you know and then there's other people that I just have these like really cuddly relationships and I, and, I, and I have a lot of like vanilla girlfriends where I'm like I'm like their gay friend even though I'm not really gay yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's this idea they know I don't want to have sex with them yeah. and so they like uh, they lay all uh, they lay all over me they're very like they're very physically affectionate in a way that I don't think they would be with, with a guy that they thought well, was you're trying not, to have sex with them
2: you're, you're not very intimidating
1: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> see
2: <laughs> see what I mean
0: do you mind if I ask what what is your sex because you know for me I like many different types of things including vanilla sex right when I'm huh.
1: really when I'm really in- when I have an intense S&M relationship sometimes vanilla sex can be incorporated in there but it's not the main thing it's not even close yeah. to the main thing like i was in a long-term snm relationship and occasionally we would have sex but it would only but only after you know like 16 hours of intense bondage and yeah. needle play and, everything. and
2: that's the one you wrote a lot about in my girlfriend etc my yeah. girlfriend comes dot 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 mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's what i like to call <laughs> Yeah, uh, Lizette, <laughs> she, her name is Lizette in uh in the Idol Diaries in Eden, in my girlfriend comes to the city and beats me up. Um yeah, we had this incredible S&M relationship. So but basically um I'm mainly in the in the power exchange. I'm not I'm not uh I mean I'm I'm not into, you know, penetrating a woman. I mean that would be the I think the the, the basic definition yeah. Of, uh, I'm not, I'm not like a super masochist or anything like that. Um,
2: super masochist,
1: <laughs> don't worry, I'll save you. Oh, wait,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> don't,
2: but I bet you'd look cute in the tights anyway.
0: Oh, uh, sweetest things!
2: I know we have to cut all that out. We do because uh, I'm not nice, okay?
0: Yeah, she's, or a, sweet. she's a horrible person. Yeah, you're not
2: super masochist, don't worry. <laughs> so, um, describe how to pick a dominant woman out of the crowd who nobody else can tell is dominant.
1: Oh, I don't think that you can do that.
2: Only I'm just asking that because I you once talk you you wrote that you, you were able to do that, or
1: you told someone. No, I told someone you couldn't because it's in the end of the Adderall Diaries when my father says to me, uh, he says, "Oh, that." That woman looks... My father, he's always trying to poke, and he's like, oh, that woman looks like she'll dominate you. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks... And he's pointing these kind of, like, So you're looking. telling
2: me that you can't scan a crowd and pick out a woman who is likely to be able to dominate you?
1: No, not at all. And, and I think they often do not at all look like what the stereotype...
2: That's my point, I guess. What do they look like, then?
1: Well, in my experience... Um, of course, they're, they're all, they're all different. I mean, you're you're very dominant looking. Yeah. Know? Yeah, you are, because you're tough and you have you wear like boy beaters and you have cool tattoos and you know kind of rock and roll hair and and. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: I like where this is going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no nonsense.
1: No nonsense. You look you do. You look dominant and much more than and even when you're just dressed in in your blue jeans and t-shirt and and I think most dominant women don't uh and and my most serious uh relationship with a dominant woman was with somebody who would not in a million years would you ever pick this person out of a crowd as the one and she was so extreme and she knew everything i mean this was her life Mm -hmm. she practiced continually and she would come over and she would have all these new rope things she had to try out i mean this was she put all of her create, creative energy into S&M, and she was just looked like the sweetest, tiniest uh, girl. I used to often like try to date these women that were like really powerful seeming. You know, like I've always had a thing for female cops and female teachers and activists, and I would I would date these like hardcore, angry feminists, and they would almost inevitably so submissive in the bedroom they would be the exact opposite and i would mm. be into them because of this persona that they were projecting mm. but actually but time and again and then uh i would i would end up with i would find someone who was really into them, and they would be they would be somebody's secretary and they would be extremely meek and uh, insecure and and uh, I mean, there's different reasons that people are into stuff, but there is there is certainly a, at least a subset of people of women that are that are in, or men too, I guess that are like tops because they're not in control and they're very insecure and this is the only time they get to be in control. I mean, that's not I don't think that does not describe all tops, but I think there's certainly a large subsection.
2: Well, that's a big stereotype for for bottoms, for guys who are bottoms, you know, these these power guys, these corporate guys who go mm-hmm. in and they just want to lose all the control and they want to get fucked like a little bitch or, you know, choked. Don't you or find
1: whatever, that there's a large number around. of guys that fit that?
2: Yeah, but that's that's. I think that's just cuz of the nature of where they find me. Like I, you know, I feel like, yeah, of course. You can but I you. think that I meet a lot of other people out in the scene um that don't gravitate towards me because for different reasons you know because they you know they don't have a corporate job maybe and they can't afford a session yeah, yeah. no, and i exactly and i saying. and i'm not looking for a personal play partner or something so it's like you know i obviously i'm going to get i'm going to meet a lot of those people well, if i may so i don't i can't, question for yeah. a second can you no.
0: spot a submissive Oh fuck yeah! Right? No, I
2: can't, but I can smell them.
0: You can smell them because they smell like Lysol. Like lunch? Right?
2: No. I like to think I can, but I think it's just a game I play. But you know, and I, I tell myself, uh, yeah, I, I actually, (laughs) this is funny. I had to go to do a grand jury thing because I was involved, like I was a witness to a, a burglary. And so I went to the grand jury and it's fucking boring to do that shit. So I was sitting there waiting to be called in to talk to these people. And, um, there was a bunch of cops and lawyers and miscellania, you know, standing around and i played the game where I'm like, hmm, what's which one's the biggest pervert in this crowd of, like, you know, butch-looking guys? And I totally picked him out. It only took me, like, 90 seconds. And I was thinking about, yeah, he would be on his knees like that. And he would be... If a pervert,
0: look for the one with the mustache. If you're looking for <laughs> kink, then it's... Pervert sees a just- little easier spot. Yes.
2: No, it, it is what I say it is. And then that's exactly my point. It is what I say it is. Yeah. Because I don't care. In the end... It, I don't have to believe I'm right about no, it and I don't care it's all really a game out, right? so can you it. do it not I don't know also, I don't give a fuck
1: yeah and if, and if in the course of this podcast we disagree on anything I defer
2: well <laughs> obviously but I love people stating the obvious
0: this episode of the Mastercast is brought to you by Eden Fantasies type in EF cast upon checkout and save 20% on your order dating sex workers <laughs> Okay
2: Back to dating sex workers I'm just,
0: Well just because uh, There's a lot of people I, I, I'm currently dating one uh, But there's a lot of people who I think who kind of Go start as a client Or maybe as uh, someone Who looks from afar And daydreams And really hopes That this is You know they, that's, that's someone who They can be with And having friends Who are a lot of sex workers the, you know they—they they think that's a horrible idea. In fact, most of my friends who are sex workers met their partners in more of a vanilla way.
2: It is. Uh, I think it is a horrible idea as well. But
0: right. but on. but hasn't but don't haven't
1: most of your sex worker friends dated a client at one point, despite it being this mm-hmm. totally taboo thing that you're never supposed to do. Is that is that
0: how you would you start off as a client and no
1: date it no no I've never I've never gone from being a client to dating somebody. I think because, uh, I'm not sure why, but partly from writing about it, and partly from being a sex worker, I've just met sex workers. Yeah. Um. I think that's, maybe once, I don't know why. But once, you know, also from being part of like, a loose, uh, a loosely knit group in San Francisco, you know, these people that are like, pro-sex advocates center for sex and culture people and you know, and and they're a lot of those people are sex workers not all of them but a num- enough of them for it to not be that weird yeah um uh and then and then the thing i think or what, what some of the things i hear you know is like if you a sex worker is dating somebody else and and the other person has a pro- says they don't have a problem but ultimately do have a problem mm. with that person having clients and then I think maybe there's a comfort level because I've been a sex worker that, and I don't. That's never gonna come off of me. They're not gonna sense that because yeah. it's just so not there yeah. at all. Um, and then, and then I relate often to those people better than I relate to the people I might meet through my vanilla friends yeah. who I play fantasy football with. Right. <laughs> right.
2: You're very political. Do you set up these, like, you used to set up um, readings and stuff to do fundraisers for stuff like that. And you had this this um, lit pack, which I think some Wikipedia says is defunct now. It is defunct. And um, do you do these things to get, you know... You laid, laid? <laughs> like isn't that why you write books? Isn't that why people write books to, that well, expose their sexuality, and then you write books to attract pros... So you do all these pro-sex things. It's for the sex.
1: Well, but that I mean, the the link between <laughs> sex and art. I mean, the reason that sex is such a fertile ground for creation is because it's a motivator for so much of what we do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see these guys or girls that are mainly guys, you know, that are, that are like, "I need to make a lot of money so I can pick up all these babes," and like yeah. they don't even care about the money. They think they they think if they have enough money, they'll meet girls, and 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 so people people are definitely driven uh, by the, by, and it's such a huge part of who we are that, that it's that of core that you have to write about. I was actually. My first three books have very little sex in them at all, mm. even though uh, one of them is set in a strip club. <laughs> and and I was actually dating this girl. I'd just gotten this fellowship at Stanford, and so I was meeting other creative writers for the first time. And she was there. We were kind of dating, and she was like, you should really write about sex because... Uh, you know, you have some real sexual issues.
2: <laughs> and, Gee, and thanks, get him out honey. there.
1: And, I, and it was like turning around and seeing a whole world you didn't know existed. That it was like it was so much of the human condition that it was just it just went on and on. And I've been focusing on this very narrow slice, you know. And I turn around and then it's like all of this stuff to explore. Um, and I was just off, just on that, just on her, just saying that. I mean, that was, you know. Um, so I think I that think writing has always been sexual um, and that there's, there's a sexual component. The, and the reasons that people do things are very complicated um, because this is the thing about writing, too, where, where people always want to know, like, well, why does a character do this? Why does a character do that? But actually, our motivations are extremely complex. And the quickest way to be wrong about anybody is to think you know why they're doing something because yeah. they probably don't even know. I mean, on the one hand... You know, somebody wants to save the world. They want to do a good deed. Like, I don't know why rent control grabs me as a, as a thing that makes me organize a huge event and get all these people together and try to raise money to save rent control, but gay marriage doesn't, you know. Um, probably because I think gay marriage is a state issue and most of the stuff going on around it is a, uh, trying to impact federal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at any rate, <clears throat> there's things that um, just catch me. And i and like, I like, want to do something about like, uh like, there's a sit lie ordinance in San Francisco now where homeless people are not allowed to sit on the sidewalk. It's horrendous. And, it, you know, things like this just grab me and I want to fight them. In a way, that other things that I know are wrong and are terrible, but they don't really make me, they don't really juice me up.
2: Well, it, it's because um, it's related to your life, right? I mean...
1: Probably so. That's probably a lot of it. But then also... Because you were out on the street for a little while. Yeah, and so when, and when, when they put away kids, when they have these laws putting away children locking up children in adult prisons, they make me, it makes me crazy. Um, and I, I do always feel like I'm on the side of the troubled child because I don't trust parents with, with troubled children, which is not fair, but it's how I feel, and they should talk to somebody else if they want someone <laughs> to take their side because yeah. I'm just not the person for it. Yeah. Um, so that, there's that. But then, of course, I put together these events, and who's on the stage? I'm on the stage. like, And I do a monthly event in San Francisco, and I've been doing them since like 2004, on and off, but a lot of events... I like being on a stage.
2: What's it called again? I forgot.
1: Well, it started, it was originally the Progressive Reading Series. Right. And then we put together Operation Ohio, hmm. which got authors to go to Ohio and do these voter registration readings, where we would do a big literary event for hundreds of people, and we would register everybody to vote. Um, and then um, and then we had Lit Pack in 2006, which is a political action committee that was raising money for progressive congressional candidates. That didn't do that good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Actually, in the end, I think we actually raised $90,000. That's pretty awesome. That's, it's pretty that's awesome. That's yeah. a lot. And I, and, and I, but I, it was a full-time job. Yeah. And I had to live on it. And I think I paid myself like $12,000 and didn't write anything at all that year. It was tough. It was tough. Mm-hmm. It, was as, you know, it was not as much as I wanted. And like 50000 of it came from one event. And this was really a turning point where this, these rich people in Pennsylvania put together this event, and they have the right Rolodex. And I just got them the authors and people. I think I got Curtis Sittenfeld and Rick Moody and some people to go down there mm-hmm. and do a reading in their barn. And those people raised this huge sum of money where I was doing these events in bars with the same authors. Yeah. And I was raising like $1,000 or $1,500 at a time, and I realized the difference between... Uh, I mean, nobody ever gives me money. Nobody will. I just don't. I have a. I have like a. I repel money. Like yeah. I could. I had. I did an event in New York with Malcolm Gladwell, Jonathan Franzen, you know, just Colson White. just everybody and and we raised people that get fifty thousand dollars talking to talk at a college, and they were all doing this reading. They were there to hang out with people beforehand. Everybody paid the minimum. Even the people that were already giving millions of dollars to the same exact causes yeah. still paid the minimum. Hmm. Um, but I put together this event in San Francisco. For Robert Mailer Anderson Or in his house And he's like One of the most rich, Richest people In San Francisco Him and his wife Nicola I think Nicola Is actually The person Who's the billionaire And he just married Really well yeah. <laughs> And there was This huge house On top of Pacific Heights And I got Isabella Allende And Michael Chabon And Tobias Wolf. And it was These were all people I had reading In my bar Series Because people uh, Writers or Literary writers are, are across the board Liberal Yeah um, Because you know To be a literary writer Is to have empathy with um, character-driven narrative. But I get him in this house with this Rolodex. Nobody wants to have a crappy party in their own home. And the mayor shows up. It's $500 a ticket. We raise close to like... Uh, we, over a quarter million, probably close to half a million. I mean, it mm-hmm. was insane, and it was just for Barack Obama, which a person didn't even need the money. Yeah. and it was this whole existential crisis because I made like twenty thousand dollars that year, yeah. and I put together this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I raised half a million for somebody that didn't even need it in one night. In oh. one night, and, and I'd been doing these events every month that were raising fifteen hundred dollars, and that nobody was. And I was like, well, why, you know, why bother with that? And then after that, I was really local. I never did national politics again. Uh, I, we, we had an American Apparel that tried to open in the mission on Valencia on a street that's all locally owned businesses and I formed an organization. We stopped the American Apparel from opening and, uh, and then we, we fought to save rent control in the state of California. And just, I just found that there were things, you could like make an impact locally without a lot of money and nationally I just got, I just became very cynical. And people do get into politics to get laid, yeah. the same way they write books to get laid. And, and it's all It's
2: not so the you only reason So do write books together It's not
1: the only reason I write books
0: Have you gotten laid
2: because Finally of got my fucking Question answered <laughs> Thank you, you
1: Have I gotten laid Because of writing books Yeah Oh yeah <laughs> I mean you know Using the term very loosely um, But uh, Yeah I mean with <laughs> People that I think Would never Probably have had anything To do with me otherwise
0: This is very different From radio When I was in radio The people who wanted To sleep with you Were usually the people You didn't want to sleep with you know, it's because it would be the ones who just obsessed with you right before they went to the monster truck rally. In every, in every, <laughs>
1: in every demographic,
0: there's somebody who's in this, like,
1: impressive position, yeah. who's impressive to this group. Yeah. You know, so, like, you're in radio, and, like, you're into radio, and this person is an impressive yeah. person because of what they do in radio. And to me, I'm not in radio, and I say, oh, I'm going to introduce you to this guy. He runs three local stations. And I'm like... I don't care. I mean, if he's nice, that's <laughs> yeah. great. But I'm not, like, impressed, right. you know, because he's not, he's not part of my uh, cohort, you right. know. And so in every, in every world, you know, you have that. And, and so, you know, writing a book is, is, a, is a thing.
0: So do you get fan mail or, should you should say, mail from people, women who think that they are what you're looking for?
1: Yeah, a lot. And a lot more recently, because now I have... Uh, okay. now what was, I was that? Have, I was just going to say, how Alex, will me. you stop Send out so many emails. Don't get me in trouble. Jesus. I I have a... After my last book, I didn't really feel like writing another book. After the Adderall Diaries. And so I just started writing this email that I sent out to subscribers called The Daily Rumpus. And it was just supposed to be links to things on The Rumpus, this web magazine that I founded. And it quickly became just whatever I'm thinking about, whatever's on my mind. And just creative nonfiction, little mini-essays. And now I have like 5,000 subscribers. And... a a huge number of them now have read my books. You know what I mean? They're kind of like, they're like, they're, um, they're just, it's a, it's a loop. Yeah. And, uh, and partly because I'm sending them an email, I get responses now from people that have read my books and I'm, I'm much easier to find now because I run a website. I get a lot of email from people a lot.
0: It's nice. So when a woman says, Hey, I've read your stuff, you, well, now in your I'm, answer. Do you say hey, that's really nice? Do you say send me a picture? <laughs> I mean,
1: what do you? Well, sometimes I'll uh, take their email address and I'll put it in Facebook <laughs> so I can see their picture, yeah. which is fair because they know what I look like. Absolutely, Isn't that, I think that's fair. It is fair.
2: I do it. I do it as well, not in sure. Facebook because I'm not into Facebook, right. but I do it other places. But
1: the um, but but i at the same time, I'm much more. Uh, I'm 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 not gonna. I'm like okay. Well, that, well, thanks. That's great. But I'm. I know, I don't generally hook up with people because they've sent me an email and they like my stuff. I mean, it's, uh, and I I don't believe, and I don't believe them. You know, people think that a lot, more often, way more often than not, they're projecting, right? So if I'm writing, like I remember, you know, being with this person and she she had read my books, or at least one of my books, and she said, uh, you know, I, I just want you to ravage me. And I was like, what did you read in my book that made you think I would ravage you? Yeah. Like I'm not a ravager. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a person who ravages.
2: Yeah. Well that that's interesting cuz in fact, that's what I was thinking like you just so thoroughly expose yourself. So I think it's I think probably a lot of people find that really obviously they find that really engaging and attractive because that's kind of the point of you're putting it out there and you want people to get drawn into your story but then what does that feel like after you it's all out there and then you have these people contacting you or not or just even to know that it's all out there I think is it all out there it seems like it's all fucking out there. right <laughs> i mean if I, I, what i've seen i mean i try i can't even imagine
1: i try i mean obviously obviously we like we're always shifting and we're changing mm-hmm. and in any situation especially sexually the other person is the variable. Mm -hmm. So I might be into something with this person I'm not into it with this person. Exactly, you know, that's what I always tell
2: people too.
1: So people could be wrong, but I think overall being open and honest about your desires is much more likely to help you meet someone who has compatible, you know, equal and opposite desires than not, Mm -hmm. than otherwise. But I'm not going to just go run off and hook up with everybody that sends me an, an email
2: but, but I mean, apart from the hooking up question, but, just yeah. like what, you know, because you might be, weird? well, you might be like the most out person because we talked to, um, I remember talking to Phoebus. That was interesting about how it was the evolution of her having to come out and she was kind of like willing and not so psyched in some ways. Yeah. But, and then for you, you kind of touched on it a little bit about around that time that you realized, wow, you know, so I'm coming out. But now you're like, it's, You might be the most out person in the universe. I mean, if everyone in the universe read about you, then you would be. That'd be
1: good. (laughs) Um, I think. I mean, I'm. But it's
2: possible. I mean, it is out, out, out there. I mean,
1: I think. There. I think if you, one of the things is, you know, the book has to come first, right? So you're writing a book, and the most important person is the reader, and you can't hold back anything in the book that the reader might want, right? I mean, you can hold back something that's not relevant to the story you don't have Mm -hmm. to tell everything because that's boring Mm -hmm. you know but uh, if if you put the reader first and if you're gonna if your memoir is gonna be an honest exploration where you're searching for answers then (laughs) you know then then you're gonna go pretty far out there and you don't know what you're gonna find and I think and, and being a writer you are continually taking a personal narrative so you should know yourself better than the average person you know not there's other people that are doing the same thing but a lot of people aren't um and, and the goal, if the goal of the memoir is to be true, then it should be an accurate representation. I mean, I hear a lot of memoirists like saying, oh, well, that's not really me. That's mm-hmm. just my literary persona. And I think that's a cop-out. It's either, and, it, and it's a failure of the text mm-hmm. because it should be accurate. I mean, things change. You know, I'm, I'm you know, two years different than I was when I wrote The Adderall Well, Diaries. the way
2: you think about it changes your perspective because you have additional experience in there. So you, you think about it differently, so, but it's still the same story.
1: Someone said to me not that long ago, they're like, somebody I'd known for a long time, like, you know, I had no idea you were so screwed up during that period when you were writing The Adderall Diaries. And I, my response was like, why do you think I'm not that screwed up now? Like, why? <laughs> what makes you think that that was something that happened then and is over? Like, that's yeah. I'm, I'm exactly the same person. Yeah.
2: Well, you're so comfortable with being screwed up. It's like everyone feels comfortable it's with a, you.
1: <laughs> it's a coping mechanism, but I'm still. I mean, it's still a very what screwed was the up person. thing
2: when you're? Um, wow, what was the thing? Was there anything that you're writing about that you kind of were like? I'm not so sure that I should, or like, you know,
1: I don't think you can do that. Um, I don't think you can if you So you
2: didn't try to second guess yourself at all when you're not for that
1: anything. reason. I mean the, for the what other reason? I mean the reader has to come first.
2: Just because the other reason would be that it wouldn't read that well or something.
1: Right. Like a lot of times like you don't you don't have to say just I'm
2: trying to get you to tell a dirty story. So here's Jesus a,
1: here's an example. Uh, what the fuck do I have to say? An example would be <laughs> I didn't go that much that deep into like my stripping in the Adderall Dies because I had really written it all out previously, and I had unpacked it, and I didn't have that much to add. And so I don't think you add, you put something in the story just because it's salacious. If you don't have anything to really say about it and you don't mm-hmm. have any insight, yeah. then you don't, you don't put it in. You put it in because it uh, somehow illuminates... The story and the themes that you've been building. See, hot.
2: I write the opposite way. I, I like to only write about things as salaciously as possible. It's just if it's a hobby for me. I'm not like I don't do the you things hot. I don't do yeah. yeah you
0: want, but you want to shock, right? You kind of go out. No, I
2: want out, people to like have to jerk off. Right. Yeah.
0: Do you do your other uh, cohorts in the industry? Do they have you? Do, have you noticed now that you're out, or that since because you're out? That uh, they react a different way to you or. Because of my sexuality? Yeah.
1: No. no. Nobody cares. I mean, I think one thing I do notice, and I really notice this nobody ever tries to set me up.
0: It's a good thing.
1: Ever. Nobody, like, of all my, like, I have, I have all, i my, my closest friends are very vanilla. I mean, they're just the most straightest. They're exactly, when you think of, like, straight vanilla, mm-hmm. this is actually, that's who, that's, this is what you're thinking. Yeah. This is, um,. And and just nobody is ever like, oh, I know the perfect person for you. <laughs> it just never ever happens. And sometimes I find like I'll, like I remember it was a couple years ago. But this was like this beautiful woman that was working with a friend. and She was recently broken up, and I'm, it's me and this friend and this other friend. And she's like, oh, I know the greatest girl. I'm gonna I got to introduce you guys. And I'm and I'm like, hello, I'm right here, <laughs> you know. And it's like, it's like talking to this guy. Like, why what what about me? Why can't you know? But it just, nobody even wants to go there. Aww. That's sad, right?
0: Yeah. But it's, about, about, you can also explain to them, look, you don't know, she might be kinkier than hell. Introduce, right? Right. I say introduce. I think it's because they don't want to imagine that this hot woman... That, that's the only, that is the well, only they, thing.
1: They're scared, you know, they don't... Oh, and other, otherwise also sometimes you get these really dumb off color jokes yeah. that you just like learn to live with where like I'm playing poker with a bunch of guys and I'm like aha give me your money and the guy's like hey I thought you were submissive like that's funny like it's yeah. not funny no, yeah. you know no. and it's and, and I, sometimes I just say whatever and other time, and if it goes on after a while I say like you know, do you make ass fucking jokes to your guy friends? Yeah. I mean, do you like do you think that like their sexuality is just up to be made fun of and is good for humor, or is that just, or is that just specific to our situation? like' will, like, it's, eventually, I'll call it on them. I'll, I'll make them yeah. uncomfortable because they really just need to know. It's not. I don't get mad at them or anything. Cause I understand. You yeah. know, they don't. This is a new situation for a lot of them. But ultimately, I don't think anybody really cares.
0: Also, I, I think it's also they're trying to be. One of the guys with you. Yeah. They're trying to be nice. They're right. trying to be good and they're trying to be like, hey, you know. Right. It's not cause they're bad people. It's just that right.
1: you, ha- you know, you have to talk to people about this stuff. Yeah,
2: yeah because it's, it's, a, it's human nature to want to give people shit, especially if you like them almost. Like, I know that when I like people, I just fucking, you know, I, sometimes I'm really mean to them. I don't know. It's, it's weird. But th- that's normal, right?
0: <laughs> I've always wondered, Alex. How does one tell if you if they are your biggest enemy or your closest friend? Well, my
2: biggest enemy, enemy never hears a word from okay, me. Okay, well, so are. that's that's it. That's how. That's how. that's how. Speaking of normal, shut up. So, in the in the epilogue of that book, um, in the My Girlfriend book, you talk about the fact, and you'll I'm sure that you'll uh, phrase this the right way. Um, that really, you're just a normal, mainstream, all-American boy.
1: This is funny. So <laughs> I wrote that at, a, at the high point of this relationship.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Um, and there's a way in which I feel the trajectory of My Girlfriend Comes to City is not honest, because it just ends in a moment... It ends on this this up this high note, like it just gets better and better you know and slow as I that's learn, okay. yeah, but it, you know but that 's not where the relationship ended. It was where I was at, at the time I wrote it yeah
2: it 's a slice it 's you know but
1: I, but I knew that was not where the relationship was going to end is a thing sure. but, but one thing that I was wrong about, so I was in this relationship with this woman, and we were having we were doing a, having a lot of sex, a lot doing s and m you know I mean there was a time where we were in bed for like four days at one point, it was really intense. And kind of great, and I'm glad I did it. I don't know that I would... I don't know that you can really live that way. Um, but you know, I, I would cry a lot originally in our relationship because I was kind of like processing all this childhood trauma. And I would be, would be doing it. She, she'd have me all tied up and stuck full of pins. And she was really into cutting. And I was really into cutting. I didn't know that until I was with her. With her was really um, nice. And, and I would start imagining some of these things that happened when I was younger. Um, some very like, traumatic stuff with my father. You know, I slept on the streets for a year. I was in these really rough group homes. Um, and my mother passed away very young, and she was very sick. And I would start crying, and I would kind of have these, like... And then, one day, we're, we're, one day, she's got me all tied up, and, and she's got her strap on, and she's... Was uh, it big? I, I can't take a really big strap on. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, you sure. can <laughs> I'll try. No, I can't really, actually. I'm really, really bad at it. But she... Uh, and and, and, I'm, and I start to, like... There's a moment where I, like, start to cry or I'm about to cry. And I realize that, like, I'm not crying about anything. Like, I've processed all this stuff. <laughs> I've cried so much with this person that now I'm just, like, trying to call up something because it just feels good. Like, it's not... You know, I'm not actually... About, it's not actually about anything. Yeah. Now it's just, like, this just feels good. So I'm crying, you know. And also... uh That was one thing And another thing with that person Was we started having like vanilla sex Admittedly It was part of larger S&M sex games But I had I was very comfortable with her naked And I had not been comfortable With somebody naked before her And I basically thought I was cured I was like Oh Now I'm okay with women being naked I mean I had dated I had had a girlfriend Or a woman that I'd kind of been dating Before her For like over a year That I'd never seen naked So You know so I have issues, but... Um, maybe you but, are gay. Uh, maybe I, I feel like I'm gay, but then it's like, I, I was supposed like to be gay, gay, and it just stopped. It was like right as I was supposed to be gay. It's interesting. And there was just this moment, and then they're like, except you're not attracted to men. Or just as just the moment I was supposed to learn. It was just a <laughs> formative moment. I did not become attracted to men, and I was supposed to be. Because I often feel like the girl in a relationship. I think of women I'm with in masculine terms. Um, but... Uh, I mean, the hottest thing ever was when my girlfriend, like, showed up to a reading I was doing, and she was wearing a strap-on under her dress,
2: mm. and I just
1: was, it
2: went crazy. Did she have a little pup tent there?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> unbelievable. So, so I, know, I know I'm supposed to be gay, and I would like to be gay, but, I, I'm, you know, I'm not gay. I mean, I, I, and I only know that through experimentation.
2: We'll, let's, we'll see if we can make you gay. <laughs> well, one, plus, one thing I'm curious about,
0: though, is, is that when you say you're not comfortable around women naked, mm, yeah. you're, you know, what is that, what is that like? For you, uh, like, is this? It's the same when you were looking at porn as a kid. Uh, you, you were uncomfortable with that, or is it then? It wasn't, the it was person, that, it?
1: that? was not the erotic yeah. thing, you know, in the porn. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I understand. Because I, I did the same thing. There was this, yeah. There was this very specific. My sister's gay, and she reads like Hustler and these like just really graphic depictions, yeah. and I was always like, ah, you know, like, yeah. it was just is, you know, it's like medical. I thought what they were doing, and I, I just. Uh, I've just never been into it um, I think it's a number of things I think one is if I'm in a i am in I prefer to be in a situation where I'm not in control and then if they're naked it's much easier to deal with Yeah. because um, if I'm all tied up and, and whatever then it's kind of okay but if if I'm not all tied up then it's almost like a set of expectations like not like I'm supposed to do something now and I'm not really comfortable doing it Yeah. Um, so I don't know that's part of it I mean I have, I have a I have a hard time with body fluids, my own included. I, you know, all of it's just, (laughs) everything is, everything is, you know, weird. But, um, but yeah, so I thought, and so that, that final epilogue of of my girlfriend comes to the city and beats me up is about that. It's about this moment of thinking like, oh, I'm actually pretty normal. Uh, and, And, you know, and, and like. I'm not really crying. I really, I, and as we were having sex and I, was, and I was literally just feeling hungry and I wanted to sh- I wanted a chocolate shake and you know this is I just wanted, I'm just getting fucked in the ass and I just want to eat a hamburger <laughs> and that's just American is what that is and um, yeah
2: that was cute
1: and but then but the but the thing the, the sad thing is that ultimately when I got out of that relationship just none of that turned out to be true like it was specific to that relationship yeah. no, I was not any more comfortable with any of these things. Than I was before.
2: She made you feel like an American.
1: Yeah, she made me feel like an American. But that was a-
2: Which can be humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you go to Europe. So you had mentioned before about realizing like knowing for so long about your, you know sexuality or that it was a little different, that you were, you know, into something different. And but then you say that you drew all this sort of you experienced this trauma sort of through that. And, I mean, obviously it's very complicated, but um, there's the stereotype. Well, so my question is, would you say your sexuality in terms of BDSM, and obviously I'm reading this, comes solely out of having had trauma in your childhood, or do you think you would be mu- at this much of a pervert if you were raised in some perfect version of a family?
1: Um, well, I don't think that my uh, proclivities come out of childhood trauma. Uh, I think that we don't know where these things come from. I think there's...
2: That's a big stereotype that's out
1: there. Yeah. But what I do think is that I would have had a healthier relationship with my sexuality much Mm -hmm. earlier if I had grown up in a normal, loving household. If I had had... uh, uh, a model for unconditional love mm. I would have had a healthier relationship to these desires and then so the result was I had the desires and I developed an unhealthy relationship with them mm. and then and that's what then and that played itself out in what I call a trauma play and mm-hmm. so it comes in to my sexuality But and so, so the answer would be that I, I don't think that the BDSM comes from that but I do think that some of the perversion comes from that
2: that's a really good answer. Now, what about the flip side? See, so you could apply that to people that are purely vanilla, and absolutely. I'm just thinking about the way other people, how would, you know, did this provide a way for you to work through some things? Like, what if you were vanilla and then didn't have that as a, oh, a you know, it's, I don't know.
1: I think my life would have been a lot easier if I was vanilla.
2: That's what everybody says.
1: <sighs> yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's not an option. Yeah, you know you are who you are, and you deal with that. Yeah,
2: there's a lot of different ways that could go.
1: Have you ever gone through a point where you? Uh... I do when I am when I am when I'm deep in a space with someone, I'm really connecting with them. I mean, I, I feel kind I feel childlike. It feels, and if I'm really and if I'm really dealing with something that I'm upset about, I immediately like my face fantas- my fantasies get much heavier, like the urge to be. Like encased and bound and unable to move, like get really strong in times when I'm when I'm stressed about something, you know. So there is a way in which uh, I lean on uh, BDSM, and then and also the the fact that when I'm really in a scene, I become I just become very childish, and I and I try not to go there because I don't I become like like I'm not communicating I want to communicate better, but I get so small mm-hmm. that it becomes it can become very hard to communicate.
2: There's other ways to communicate so it's all really complicated and what i worry about what i think is really cool is that you're putting you know stuff out there for people to see and try and understand and you're moving into film now you're writing screenplays and stuff and um about you know these this type of sexuality and what i really worry about that happens all the time is that this gets turned into a caricature two-dimensional caricature where people are vilified and and uh treated like um you know the stereotypes that make them feel comfortable and that they understand and that's kind of what happened with that showtime thing in a way you know and so how are you gonna like there's how do we how do you get that across i i i think that we're not ready to do that yet as a society well in the
1: book you can get it across because you have just total that's a lot different right? or, you know or or not get it across I mean, you have to tell you're telling an individual story and it's not the same for everybody um, and there's people that read my books and and take from it that I'm that I'm equating trauma, with, with submissive desire, which I'm not. So that's
2: easy to kind of go there. But and to just...
1: create art, you have to allow people to get to get you wrong. Like otherwise, you have to talk down to them, and over explain yourself, and that's just that's that makes for very slow and boring reading, to the people that would understand. It's not your ideal reader. So you have to just allow that some people will misinterpret your work. And you have to allow for that. And a film, it's a much more limited medium, actually, than than a book. And and it's collaborative. In the Adderall Diaries, which like James Franco owns the rights to that, and I wrote the script. But whatever they do with that, if they do anything with it, <clears throat> I'm I'm not going to have say over that. Um, in the new script, I plan on not selling it. And I plan I'm going to try To make it myself Oh cool I'm not going to direct it But I want to produce it And I want to be the, I want to be the person well, um, Getting the actors Getting the director It
2: seems like that Would help the process So hopefully right?
1: that'll Help the process but, but still I think Film is imperfect And, it, and there will be A lot of There will be a lot of Cooks Inevitably And the director Has to have creative freedom To do what they yeah. want to do I'm not going to Second guess a director
2: Oh yeah. Please. Who's gonna play you in the Adderall Diaries?
1: James Franco is supposed to play me. He's supposed to uh, star and direct. Is that, is that he, how that works? He, well, he was supposed to r- write it as well, and I asked him Jeez, if I could write
2: that's it
1: because yeah. I didn't want him to write. Well, I didn't think that. Not that I didn't want him to write. It, I didn't think he would ever get to it. He was so busy, mm-hmm. and so I asked him if I could write it. He so he that came
2: okay. to. He's like, I want to be you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Have I was, conversation. Well, my thing was like, I was like, I don't know if you're good looking enough. <laughs> you know, like who's gonna believe that you're with all these women? <laughs> um, no. <it's>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's funny because it's true. It's funny because it's true. <laughs> it's no, it's not true. Um, he, you know, I mean, he bought the rights to it before I ever met him or had any communication with him. And then uh, he and his manager invited me down to see the premiere 127 hours in Los <laughs> Angeles. And so I went down and saw him and met met him and, and I said, you know hey, can I write the script? And he was like, really, man? Really? You would do that? Really? He was, I mean, he was, very, he was very sweet and very excited about it.
0: Good. And so
1: I did. So I wrote the script. Um, but yeah, he is slated to play me, and he's also supposed to direct. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me and this awesome show and this amazing studio you have isn't it where well, did you find the money for this it's, all this equipment
0: you know it's all donations <laughs>
1: it's amazing the green
0: room is over there you didn't even get to sit in the green room I know well, there
1: was <laughs> <and> then, <laughs> like a, a party going on in there when I came here I know this is crazy I
0: know well you know hey this is the lifestyle this yeah. is the life I choose and don't ca- judge me
1: caviar is not really my thing anyway well you know
0: Thanks to Stephen Elliott again. Uh, of course, his books are My Girlfriend Comes to the City and Beats Me Up, Happy Baby, The Adderall Diaries, and uh, you can find him on StephenElliott.com. I've got a link on the website, MasterCast.com. And uh, thanks to Eden Fantasies for... Oh, and of course, thanks to Mistress Alex for being the brains behind the whole operation there. He, there's no way he would have showed up if, if she wasn't there. See? She's uh, she's she's lit-bait. She's lit-bait, I think. that That's what Alex is. Uh, and yes, Eden Fantasies... Uh, check out sexist magazine you've got uh, stories advice columns from some really awesome writers some of whom have been on this show they'll they'll openly admit to it and don't forget to enter ef cast upon checkout and get 20 percent off your order they've got their spring uh, clearance sale right now go go before it's too late thank you for listening we will see you later bye bye